Welcome back to another episode of the Development by David podcast with your host, your fellow Scotsman, David McIntosh. I cannot believe this week's guest. It's the one and only Sunita. You heard that? The chart-topping singer from the 80s. She shared a post the other day that showed her on the charts with Rick Astley, Michael Jackson, Def Leppard. This is a really rare episode with a celebrity. I don't know how I make these episodes happen. I think it's because of you. You really, really, really engage with this podcast. You listen to it. You share your feedback. And that spurs me on in terms of motivation to go and ask the biggest guests, chat their doors, share this mission that we're on together. And they turn around and say yes. And we make it happen. Just like this episode with, oh my God. Sunita. Thank you, Sunita, for popping on this episode. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And if you do, share it with the group chat, share it online, share on your stories, hit five stars, hit subscribe. But for now, let's get into it with Sunita. Thank you, Zero Gravity, for sponsoring this episode. You might remember my episode with Joe Said and their founder. And I'm so proud now that he's back around to sponsor this episode. Launched in 2020, Zero Gravity is a world pioneering tech startup on a mission. They're here to level the playing field, identifying untapped brilliance in underserved areas and nurturing that talent to its full potential. Picture this, over 8,000 students already empowered towards Russell Group universities and academia. But that's just the beginning. They're the driving force behind game-changing careers in top global companies, including my own. What's more, they've created a sanctuary of opportunity, boasting one of the UK's largest scholarship funds at over £850,000. If you're aiming for the stars, they're there to light up your path. If you want in, they've got the formula for you to ace those qualifications, conquer your grades and join their vibrant community. The best part, it's free for students. If you are a student, sign up at zerogravity.co.uk or if you work for a corporate or own a corporate that want to tap into underserved talent and harness that in your organisation, reach out to Joe Seddon on LinkedIn. Thank you to my cousin for sponsoring this episode with his organization, Ross Clark Roofing. I've literally watched Ross build this organization from the ground up, pardon the pun, for the last 20 plus years. If you're in need for top-notch roofing services, look no further. Ross has you covered. Based in the heart of air, Ross Clark Roofing is your go-to solution for all things roofing, rough casting, and roofline installation and repair. With an amazing track record of over 25 years in the industry, you can trust their experience. And my word to meet all your roofing needs. Ross takes pride in delivering first-class roofing services that not only protect your home, but enhance its aesthetics. Whether you're in Ayrshire, Glasgow, or any surrounding areas, their skilled roofers and whole team are ready to serve you. If you're interested in that, head along to rossclarkroofingair.co.uk or just Google Ross Clark Roofing and tell them David sent you. I can't believe I'm saying this. Hello, Sunita. Welcome to the Development by David <laughs> podcast. Thank you so much. We did it. We made it. We, we made it. Here. <laughs> you have been the most requested guest. When I mentioned that I met you and I uh, messaged you, so many, so many people were like, when's Sunita coming on? I was like, for God's sake, I'm going to make it happen. I promise. It's been three oh, months in the making. Three months in the making. Well, you know what? This is going to be great. This is going to be great. It's going to be like a cake. It's going to be like a cake. Yes. And Sunita, you... <laughs> You look amazing. I'm absolutely blushing. This is the first podcast that I've actually put aftershave on to record a podcast over. Oh my Zoom. gosh, and you smell amazing. I can smell you from here. <laughs> I put perfume on as well, exactly. So we both smell great. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I'm so glad we could do this. We met each other at the Burberry British Diversity Awards. 
Mm-hmm. You were one of the presenters for one of the uh, awards that I was up for. I was up for three awards at that. I'm, I'm totally enamored. I got the opportunity to be there in a room with people like you and all the celebrities and advocates that were there. Like a little kid from me from my council estate in rural Scotland shouldn't have been at that award ceremony. And lo and behold, I shouldn't be on this call with you. This is just truly really <laughs> remarkable. So thank you in advance. But you are moving and shaking and doing great things. So it's an honor. Oh, well, thank you so much for your generosity, Sunita. I'm really excited that we could that we could do this. So if I were to ask you, Sunita, who is Sunita today in 2023? How would you bring that to life? Oh my God. Okay. I'm so excited. So glad you asked me that. I am in my fifties. I'm a grown ass woman, finally. And I'm actually about to live the best years of my life to the extent that I'm launching something probably actually, it might even be today when this comes out, because this is going to come out next week, called Sins Angels. And it's about me and a group of 50 plus women, basically just being badass. We we're having the best sex, we're in our best health. We, we know what we want as women now, um, because nobody's really talking to our demographic. It's kind of like, you know, from the moment you're born, you know, you go to school, you're supposed to do this, you're supposed to graduate, you're supposed to have a boyfriend, you're supposed to get a job, you're supposed to get a flat, get married, have kids. And you know, fashion, media, everyone's talking to you every stage of your life telling you what you should be doing next and then you hit 50s and you know what they start talking to you about your menopause they talk to you about your menopause and then they stop talking to you as if menopause and die so i have decided to let people know that actually it's it's not that that after you when you hit your 50s your children are grown you've paid your mortgage you've paid your bills you've paid your dues and now you get to come back to you but it's the first time that you are fully just yourself fully formed, fully realizing what you like and don't like, confident. And actually, this is going to be the best of times, not the let me start digging my way to my grave time, sit in the corner, go gray and die. So that's what I'm doing. (laughs) I love it, Sunita. You look amazing. You're radiating so much energy. And like you said, you're going to be living the best years of your life now. What does that manifest itself in for you? What what will that look like in terms of your day-to-day life? Um, well, I'm going to have a man in my life again, a man that I choose rather than a man who chooses me. I'm going to have amazing, rewarding, incredible sex because, again, I know that it's about me being pleased, not just me pleasing man. Um, I can wear what I want. That means I can wear, I can still wear mini skirts and heels and I can be disgraceful and I don't care what anyone thinks. It means I can go on holiday and I don't have to wait for the school holidays because my kids are grown. I can just, you know, it's just like being free. And and it's so nice because I think I'm a bit of a people pleaser, a bit of a people pleaser and, you know, someone who likes to be liked and all that kind of thing. And it's not that I don't, I, you know, I do still want to be liked and I still want to make people happy. But making myself happy is a real priority now. And, um, you know, I'm not going to just be like a mean bitch now and be mean to everybody, but I'm going to be much nicer to myself too. <laughs> well, you've been so nice to come on this podcast and you're you're right. I think the narrative in movies and the narrative in TV is that, yeah, like f- the 50 plus generation are to settle down, to unwind their life, to be uh, become a grandmother perhaps, and yeah. to, like you said, slowly travel towards uh, their grave. And yeah, some of the themes that are spoken about are like, for example, divorce and uh, menopause and becoming a yeah. grandparent on TV. But the like but what being about the a, joy? 
hearts. Yeah. Is, uh, I mean, uh, yeah. I am looking forward to being a grandpa. My children are still a little young, so they're only 17 and 18. But, like, I am looking forward to being a grandmother, but I feel like society's ideas for us haven't changed since the 60s when we were being born. I mean, I'm born at the end of the 60s. But why is why has there been an update? You've got Naomi Campbell having babies. She's 50 years old. She just had, I think she just had her second child. You know, you've got Camilla, who's 70-something, just became Queen of England. I mean, you know what I mean? It's actually a good time for older women, but the, but people are still writing about us as if we, this is a time we should become invisible. So I'm so excited to be out there actually going, sorry. Oh, here's another thing. So consider this. So when are you born? What are you? Are you you're a millennial, right? What what age do you think I am? Uh, twenty four. Oh, twenty five. Close. Pretty good. Pretty good. But can you imagine? I made records on vinyl. I, I was you know when I was your age, maybe they yeah we did have mobile phones, but I grew up without a mobile telephone when they were used to be the red telephone boxes on the street and all that stuff when they were only four channels because i can remember the launch of channel five like all these things which sounds like dinosaur things hundreds of years ago but it was only like the 80s but i've also lived through cds cassettes um dats um the early mobile phones you know to now everything everything that was before that is between that is now but i'm still really fit and young and able so I'm going to be here for the future as well. So I feel like there's a 50-plus woman. I'm a kind of hybrid of the past and the future. So you guys, you really need us because we can appreciate, like you guys will go out and buy vinyl records and think like, oh, it's really cool to get some retro records, you know. But <laughs> but, we, but we actually lived it as well. And I can tell you that it's all good. There's nothing like an album that's been made, like somebody like Prince who would write something and it, an album was like a book it was a it wasn't just a random songs to just take one song here and there like you do now when you stream stuff it was a complete body of work that you bought and they may have spent two or three years working on that and you lived with that album until they made their next one another two years later and it was like that but anyway i know i'm talking all over the place but it's just the, the, the idea of still being here and being part of the future but knowing everything that's gone before um makes me see the world in a very interesting way. I think it does too. And I'm so glad that you're pioneering that messaging for both older women to aspire to and relate to and find solace in, but younger women as well, because younger women are the future older women, right? They're, they're going to be 50 and 60 one day. So the fact that you're pioneering this message uh, so proactively will give solace to those younger women who will be your age one day and want to live the same life that you're living just now. In a very I hope fashion. so, and that it's nothing to dread, nothing to dread or fear. You know, so long as you're healthy and happy, you know, why not live forever? I think we're, we're going to redefine aging because aging doesn't have to be something that's negative. You know, it's a, it's a privilege. Yeah, yeah it is. It's like, I would say aging is just adding more experiences to your to your, to your yeah. color and to your to your life and the more experiences you have the more expertise you can give to the world and it makes you almost like an onion with more layers to provide oh i like that i'm going to use that because look at people like paul sarah harding you know like there's so many amazing women who've died young that you just think you know it seems crazy to park the women that are still here like if we're still here we're here for a reason and a purpose yeah 
I love it. I know life hasn't always been like this, Sunita, and in true development by David style, I'd love to take it back to day one. Mm-hmm. What did your home environment look like in Seattle? Oh my gosh. Okay, so I only lived in Seattle when I was really tiny. In one of my earliest memories, and one of my only memories there, when I was tiny, I, my first memories, my mother, Michael Brown, me on her hip and her making oatmeal on a stove, putting cinnamon and butter and everything in it, and the aroma <laughs> sort of coming up and me knowing that this is going to be my breakfast. And my mother always dies when I say this to her because she says, you know, you're about two and a half, three years old. How do you remember that? Um, but I really do, and I can smell everything. Um, but I remember I remember going to church, this funny little church that used to be at the end of the street, um, Baptist church, with all the women fainting and passing out with their fans when the Holy Spirit hit them, Some, like something out of a movie, right? Um, but I can't remember that much because then we moved uh, to Detroit to my, where my grandfather was, and that was strange because my mother ended up leaving me with my grandparents while she went on the world tour of a show called Hair. And they were going to be going to Australia and all around the world and all these things. And at the time, black people in Australia, um, the Aborigines, were still being hunted as sport. Can you believe it? Like cowboys and Indians, they used to shoot them. So my grandparents were like, they didn't want my mother to go and they certainly weren't going to let her go and take the baby. So I was kept in in America while she went. But eventually, after I refused to eat, drink, or speak, because I was so upset at being separated from my mother, they ended up putting me on a one-way ticket to Australia on a one-way ticket. I then arrive in Brisbane, which should have been, you know, the bowels of the earth, and it turned out to be the sunshine city. Everything modern, dolphins dancing, beautiful people, and I loved it. In fact, I, oh, why don't I live in Australia? I don't know why I didn't end up living there. But it was like the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my life. Um, and I just got to tour. I just toured around the world and lived in Hilton hotels, they were at the time, while she did this show. And I'd be riding my tricycle up and down the corridors of the hotels. And then we ended up coming to England. And it was the hottest summer that England has ever had, the summer of 1976. And it was so hot that there were flying ants and melted flip-flops on the street. And that was my introduction to London, which I'd been expecting to be like something out of the Oliver movie or Grey and Fog. <laughs> and again, London was amazing. <laughs> oh, fantastic, Sunita. And your mum had you relatively young, didn't she? She was a young yeah. mother. Yeah, she was a young mother. So, you know, I think it was hard for her, but she always says that, it was good that she had me because having a child meant she couldn't go off the rails. Um, you know, because my mother was crazy. She was like hanging out with David Bowie and Mark Bolin and Mick Jagger. She was in that kind of set. And, you know, that was a very rock and roll, psychedelic kind of group of people. Um, but because she had a child, she could hang, but she couldn't get too wrecked because she had to make sure I was okay. <laughs> oh, Amazing. And can I ask you what your ethnicity is, your kind of heritage? It's mixed race, right? Yeah, well, we're Black American and American Indian. Oh, amazing. What unique challenges did that afford you or some, some of the kind of unique highlights that it might have afforded you in that um, era? Well, interesting thing. I think it definitely helped in my early career because, you know, my breakthrough, well, one of the, the first show I did was The Wiz, which was the Black musical version of The Wizard of Oz. So being Black American and 
already having an American accent was an advantage. Um, but then my real breakout show was a show called Mutiny on the Bounty, where the, the love interest girl lead is supposed to be a Tahitian princess. Well, look at me now, everybody will be laughing, going, Sunita, you do not look like a Tahitian princess. But guess what? In 1986, nobody knew what a Tahitian princess looked like. <laughs> <laughs> so a brown-skinned girl with long hair, it was like, she'll do. And I was cast as, as my meaty in Meeting on the Bounty. That, like, that wouldn't happen today. I would be nowhere near it, you know? So, I remember when you got signed, a lot of record labels... And music execs wanted you to conform to like the kind of black stereotype in music, but you wanted to be a pop star. You wanted to be like Madonna. Yeah. How hard was it to have those conversations? I mean, luckily because I was so young and I I was really really polite because I how young were you? Oh, like sixteen. I'd gone to um, St Mary's, very very strict boarding school, and had my accent taken away and all of that. So I was very compliant, very polite. However. I knew what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. So I'd made a couple of soul records and they'd done well on the soul charts and, you know, I'd done a, you know, it was all very nice. But I saw Madonna, I saw Janet Jackson, and I was like, if I could be a little bit of that and a little bit of that, that's who I want to be. That's, that's what I want to do. And all these different labels wanted to sign me. But as soon as I got off of my first contract with, with Magnet, I signed to Simon Cowell. Now, Simon Cowell had no money. His record company had no other artists. They'd never had a hit. <laughs> but what he did have is he said to me, look, all these other companies are interested in you, but if you sign with me, you can sing pop. You can sing whatever you want. And that was it. Plus, he was cute. <laughs> I was about to ask. I know you've had an on-off relationship with Simon uh, for many of years. He's very much had now because he's 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 probably married, but he's definitely very loved up with his oh. little boy and Lauren. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. But back then, when you were uh, very young and you had a crush on him, were there any sort of romantic signs um, at that at that point? Did you ever kind of have a crush on him then, or was it strictly professional from you? Oh no, Simon and I dated on and off for thirty years. It was crazy. It was literally like. We were, I would say we were the Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton of the music industry because Simon was so unfaithful. He was really popular. He used to look like Patrick Swayze. He had that long sort of wavy hair. He had flicked up back hair like fair faucet majors and big muscles and everybody used to fancy him. And, you know, it meant that there were always dancers and actors and page three girls and models all over him and everything. So we'd break up regularly, but we always got back together again because ultimately we liked each other the most. But, you know, he was uh, he was popular, let's put it that way. Could you forgive him for that? or how I used to always manage... forgive him. I used to always forgive him and get back with him. You know, and then we, you know, he'd do, do something else and we'd break up and I'd go out with someone else and he'd go out with someone else and then we'd miss each other and we'd end up breaking up with whoever we're with and getting back together again. And this went on and on and on and on and on. It was ridiculous. And for some reason, I can't blame you both because you're both so impressionable, so young and had this hockey stick kind of curve to success. There's so many, so many opportunities falling at your feet in terms of not only business ventures and the next, the next greatest hit, but also people around you. You're, you're going to these crazy parties, going to these crazy events. And as a young, impressionable person, you can't say no yeah. to, those, to those opportunities, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we had so much fun. And, 
talk about making it up as we went along. I mean, we'd be turning up to clubs with our record and, you know, talking the DJs into playing them, standing outside radio stations, you know, accosting the DJs. Oh, you know, please replay this on your show because, you know, you needed airplay. If you could get onto the radio and if the clubs were playing your record, you could have a hit. And, um, you know, that's what we wanted. And we were relentless. Because we were young, we were in love with each other and it was fun and we were determined. I think that's what got us through because we just were relentless. But so much, uh, we released it twice. So we put it out the first year, nothing happened, put it out the second year and just went for it. And, uh, you know, we finally got what, got what we wanted. But that kind of energy and drive as a team was, uh, was I think, what got us through. That's inspiring because when I think about Simon, I just see the era of Simon that I grew up in, the X Factor Simon, the multi-millionaire, the multi-millionaire Simon, but I haven't seen or heard about the broke Simon, the um, unsuccessful Simon. Oh, well, yeah, broke, Simon, broke Simon was, where am I, there am I. I suppose our early days of working together was probably broke Simon. So I'm trying to find myself on this thing. Am I there? Do I go that way? Oh, yeah, that way. Uh, I mean, but you know when you don't feel broke? Because we were still being, we were getting into the clubs, we were doing what we wanted to do, but we just didn't have houses and cars and, you know, all that jazz. And you didn't need them at that age. <laughs> and nobody had any money in those days either. You know, so that's why it was kind of, it was more of a, a, a level playing field. You know, everybody wore the same clothes, but you kind of customised them with safety pins or this, that and the other. So it was a very creative uh fun time and everybody was very competitive everybody wanted to be in the music business and uh and everybody was and nobody was successful no one was really successful but you were working towards something so it was a buzz um so when we finally did break through and have a hit it was um it was phenomenal because it was kind of like okay now we're we're, we're going to the next level i saw you posted on instagram the other day um, it was like 30 plus years ago and it was a picture of the um the charts at the time oh, and it was yeah it was crazy it was when toy boy was like number, the, toy number, Boy's four? number three or number four michael jackson's number one and you know you just think i, ca I can't explain it to people that you know i was i used to be in the charts with michael jackson so you'd be, you'd be doing music shows because when you had a hit you'd have your hit here, but you'd have a hit in every single country. And because uh, radio and things weren't digital in those days, you had to go to every country and promote each song one by one. So it'd take you a year to travel the world to promote one record. So you're doing TV shows with superstars like Michael Jackson and Madonna, um, but you're just you. But when you get to those countries, you get to Japan and there's 90,000 Japanese kids screaming and crying because you're in the room. And you're, I'm. It's 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 very very it's very very surreal, um, and my kids still don't get it now. My kids still don't quite get it. You know, they're either like, okay, mama, and I'm like, honestly, <laughs> they're like, this is true. And it's like, but did you actually sing with Michael Jackson? Well, I didn't sing with him. No, but he used to be on the same shows. I used to be on the same shows with him, but not when. But they are thinking back to like the '60s you know, like when the Jackson 5, and it's like, no, 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 not when he was little Michael Jackson, when he was Michael Jackson, the king of pop. That's insane, Senator. Did you yeah. get the chance to speak to Michael Jackson 
Yeah, yeah, to Michael Jackson. Like I mean, surreal because you don't, even though there's your so-called peers because you're in the charts together, because I remember Michael Jackson when I was a little child, I was in awe of him. You know, I was in awe of him. So I, I didn't feel like oh, we were going to be mates. It was like, you're Michael Jackson up there and I'm Sunita. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm sorry I'm on this show with you. I shouldn't really be here. It That's what like I feel that, just like know. saying to me, you know, <laughs> I shouldn't really be here. I felt like that. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. So at that age when you were traveling the world, meeting your idols, do you have any crazy or wild or funny stories that really stick with you from that time? Um, that you feel yeah, comfortable I think, sharing? Yeah, I suppose <laughs> just, just weird things like, you know, you're doing shows with Michael Jackson. I, I modeled myself on the girl in the Michael Jackson thriller video. So, you know, my So Macho music cover the flip side of it, not the one with the medallion man, but the one that was going to be the cup. I'm almost wearing the same identical outfit that she's wearing. I've got my curly pan, the same as hers. And, you know, so that was the thing. It's like, oh, you know, you look like you're, you look like you're in Thriller. I think that's what he, he said to me. And instead of thinking, you know, I would always have a, a cheeky response or come back to something, but because it was him, I just sort of stood, you know, it looked like I was being rude because I just, just didn't know what to say. So I just froze, just like, yep. And, you know, forevermore you're thinking, why didn't you say this? Why didn't you say I'm a huge fan? Why didn't you hug him? Anything. But I just stood there like an idiot. Um, what else has happened? I got to present Prince with his BPI, not BPI, what do you call it, Brit Award? When I was nominated for the Brits, I got to present Prince with his uh, for the Batman soundtrack. Um, you know, just mad things. Parties with Madonna, you know, George Michael. I, it's very, very strange to me because now they make all these movies, you know, like um, Bohemian Rhapsody and the Wham musical and stuff like that. That these are the people that I grew up with. These were, these were, my, these, these were my peers. We used to be in South Molton Street together um i was uh i was actually even i've never actually said this before told anyone this before but i was actually asked way back in the early days of when before george had gone solo if i would be his girlfriend but it was like not his actual girlfriend to be to to, to pretend to be his girlfriend and i said no guess why i said no because i really liked him <laughs> I was so disappointed oh. that he was gay that I was like, oh, no, I won't want to do that because I want to really be his girlfriend. And I should have just been like his, his, you know, his straight wife or he could have been my gay husband. But because I had a genuine crush on him, I said no. And did you know he was homosexual at that point? Um, I think the fact that I was being asked if I would pretend to be his girlfriend that's you know because otherwise why would i why would he need someone to pretend to be his girlfriend why would he just have a girlfriend you know so i th i think that's how i took it at the time um, george george was such a handsome young man oh as well God. wasn't he so gorgeous he could dance i mean we used to go clubbing at a place called double bass and a club called browns and covert garden and i remember when he dropped um i want your sex we were in the club dancing like crazy and we didn't realize he was there and then somebody said, look up, look up, look up. And we looked up and he was on a sort of low balcony in the room above 
looking down on us all dancing like the record had only been out for about a week but we already knew every word everything and it was me and a group of friends going mad and him just looking down watching Sunita, do you know what i love about you is that you are like such a huge superstar like you said top top four and under in the charts you place as high as top two but you still have such admiration for these other artists in the charts <laughs> these idols as well but you're an idol yourself but you almost like regress like a little fangirl for these people <laughs> even though you are a celebrity and you were famous in your own right in that era too oh. that's just it's so cute and adorable and I, I don't mean in a patronizing way but it is so sweet oh thank you but that's how it really felt I mean you just be you know I mean I can remember Elton John because I did the show Mutant and the Bounty with David Essex and uh, Sir Frank Fenley and he was good friends with Elton and so I'd meet people and then this was before I was a pop star when I was just a jobbing actress but then I'd, I remember when Elton came to see I don't know if he came to see X Factor we, we went out with Sharon Osbourne and a group of us and he was there and I was scared to talk to him because I thought, oh, I don't think he'll, rem he won't, he'll remember me. And um, David Furnish came over and said hello. And I said, oh, and I said, I'm Sunita. And I was kind of introducing myself, I'm Sunita, I don't know if you remember. So of course I remember, but almost kind of slapping my hand away, like, don't be stupid. Of course I remember you. But it's because to me it was like, but well, how would, you, you know, why would he remember me kind of thing? But, um, but I'm still really funny. If it's people that I knew were stars when I was little, unless I was really, really good friends with them, unless my mother was really, really good friends with them, then I, I never sort of think that they'll, that they'll know me. And then people go, but Sunita, you've been around for 40 years. And it's like, oh yeah, when you put it like that. <laughs> That's amazing. When So Macho reached as high as it did in the charts, how did you deal with the fame and fortune that came alongside, especially in that era where rock stars and pop stars were held on such a huge pedestal, like you said, you were touring Japan with hundreds of thousands of people screaming your name. How did you deal with that from a psychological or kind of mental health capacity? The funny thing is, is having problems um, in those days, especially if you're young, was really taboo. Because, like now people can talk about their mental health and their concerns and their fears and worries. Oh, I felt like it was a huge taboo to, to be upset or complaining or uncomfortable with anything because as a young artist, you're always having to prove, I can do it, no, I'm not too young, I've got this, I I'm okay. So I'd be getting off planes going straight to TV shows, you know, and performing for four hours nonstop and all this kind of thing, really pushing myself because I didn't want to be seen as, no, you know, she's only young or she needs to be chaperoned or whatever. But um, I actually loved it. I found it surreal and kind of overwhelming, but but I loved it. It was like viewing my life. It was like my life had become a film and that I was watching it, if you know what I mean, because it's so strange to be someplace like Iceland or Japan, especially when it's one race of people, so you're not seeing lots of diversity in the audience, you're seeing like 90,000 Japanese people singing your music and it's just like, oh wow, this is, this is weird, all chasing you down the street. Because when you're famous in the UK, it's like, it's just like being popular more like, you know, it's like, you know, the cabbies go, all right, Sunita, how are you doing, love? You know, it's, it's like that. But suddenly to be being chased around and stuff in other countries, it's like, oh my God, this is, this is real.
One thing I think I would struggle personally if I ever reached that level, and let, let's hope this podcast does reach that level, yes. um, I'm crossing my fingers that it does, is that you actually can't even slow it down. You have no control over it anymore. You can't uh, de- just like deaccelerate, you can't take your foot off the pedal, regardless no. of how much you want to, no matter how much money or power you have, uh, you'll always be in the, the limelight, you'll always be recognizable. Did that yeah. ever cross your mind at all? Um. Not really, because I think because I'd sort of grown up in the industry, you know, and I'd had a children's TV show and things like that. So I'd always had a a sort of level of being recognized all my life. But, you know, when it goes that next level and when it's international, uh, there's a sense of relief because you feel like, okay, you're, you know, the record company going to be pleased with you. And, you know, and also I knew what I was doing. I never felt out of my depth. It's like, all I have to do is sing my song, answer these questions. You know, it's all easy. And actually, and I'm getting paid for this, lots of money. It was like having the best fun. And it was my job. And all my dancers were with me who were my friends. So I wasn't on my own. Um, I think I was really, I think I was really lucky because for me, it was just like living the best days of my life, getting into the best clubs, the best parties and situations with the best people. And you're legitimately, you know, allowed and meant to be there. That is unreal. <laughs> it's weird how that is like a normal life for you. That That's the life that you would choose. Whereas a lot of celebrities, like, for example, you hear Justin Bieber, who just wants to be anonymous and live a normal life. But for you, that was the new normal. That was all you ever knew. And you loved yeah. it and you embraced it. Yeah. The only thing I didn't like, obviously, you used to have crazy newspaper stories, magazine stories, writing ridiculous things but even then you know once Simon sort of got it into my head that you know today's bad story in a newspaper is tomorrow's fish and chip paper it was like yeah you're true like nobody nobody's going to be they'll have forgot everyone will have forgotten this story in two weeks so don't worry about it um and once I was able to get wrap my head around that I could take it a lot more in my stride because I used to get really embarrassed and really upset about the, you know, I want to keep defending myself. And, you know, and by the way, that didn't really happen or I'm not really dating this guy and I didn't really do this, didn't really say that. And it was like, you don't need to, you know, nobody's actually really reading the stories anyway. They look at the headlines, forget about it. Um, now, of course, things stick around forever. Um, <laughs> it's different. Uh, you'll be surprised, Sunita. Here's a, t- a statistic that 90% of the content that you consume online today has been created in the 24 hours. So the churn is even higher now, in my opinion. Yeah. Wow. So it's gone literally within 24 hours. hundred percent. Ninety percent of the content you consume today has been generated in the last 24 hours. How scary is that? That's crazy. So the world is just outputting, outputting, outputting. Yeah. Yeah. When you were written about in tabloids and newspapers, do you remember a specific article or feature that really hurt you? That you felt so propelled to defend yourself against yes so i used to date brad pitt years ago and uh just drop that into the thing but yeah i know it's yeah so he had just married jennifer aniston and a movie he was make he'd made called um I don't know if it was the seven deadly sins something like that some kind of scary horror movie thing was coming out and one of the journalists or newspaper called me. They wanted a Brad Pitt story to accompany the release of his new film. So I did just a 
pretty normal interview, just saying what a nice guy he was, how lovely he was, and all of this. But the next day when it came out on the release of this film, it talked, it said something about my night, Sunita's Nights of Passion with Brad Pitt on her waterbed. And it was describing these torrid love scenes that I'd never said anything about or anything, you know, that weren't true at all, but as if I had said all this stuff. And I've been being so mortified because I thought, he's going to think, why she? Why has she done this? Like she didn't. You're better than this, Anita. Why would you do that? You're like, do you need attention so badly, or you know, whatever? But I also thought Jennifer Aniston's going to hate me because you know why on her wedding weekend am I putting a story out? It looks like I've put a story out detailing our sex life. So I contacted him because I just thought I, I actually can't sleep. I'm so embarrassed, and I've never talked about um, sex my sex life with anyone in the, in a paper before. So I called him and sort of said, I'm so sorry. And I don't know if you've seen me, I'm sure you've seen it. And I'm sure you're really angry and upset, but you've got to know this wasn't me. And please tell your wife, I would never do this. I'd never met her or anything. I would never do anything like this. And I'm so sorry. And I don't want to put a, this to be a bad sort of cloud over your week and all of this. Well, first of all, he hadn't even seen it. He said, do you realize how many stories are written about us every single day? And I was like, no, no, I've no idea. And he said, we don't see it, we don't read any of it. So I was like, oh, okay, then thank you. God, if I'd shut up, he wouldn't even have known about it kind of thing. Um, and then he was like, but I can see you're really, really upset. And if you want to, I'll sue the newspaper. And I went, well, no, I can't afford to sue a newspaper. Like, it, it'll be fish and chip paper. I mean, you know, but I just didn't want you to be upset. And he said, no, but I'll sue them if you want me to because I don't want you to be embarrassed like that. Like we, we just rise above it, but it's obviously affecting you. And that was really sweet, right? <laughs> so I was like, well, you know, whatever you want to do. And he got his lawyer to contact the, the newspaper and everything and the whole retractions. Don't think he actually sued them. I don't think he needed to. I think they realized that he could. And so they wrote a, a whole retraction that Sneet, the this, sex this story, about Sunita and Brad Pitt was completely untrue and not given by Sunita, blah, 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 blah. So that was nice. Um, because that's the thing, you don't mind people saying crazy things about you, but I think things that actually really, I think are damaging character-wise, to me, that's the sort of thing that would be damaging character-wise. You know, I wouldn't want a, someone doing that to me, so I wouldn't do it to someone else. Oh, that's horrendous, Sunita, and I'm so glad that Brad was such a gentleman to do that for you. He yeah. seems like a really great guy. What was your relationship like with Brad? Was it a positive one? Yeah, really positive. I mean, you know, it was we were young. He was it was fun. He lived in LA. I was living here. We're both. He was um, he was Priscilla Presley's Priscilla Presley's daughter's boyfriend in Dallas. That was the role he was playing at the time. So he was sort of very much busy doing that and I was traveling all over doing my music thing so it was a difficult sort of long-term thing but he was lovely and he was gorgeous and in fact I even took him to George Michael's party and George Michael pinched his bum so Brad, <laughs> sorry Brad I did say that but everybody was pinching his bum because he was so hot <laughs> I'd pinch his bum <laughs> I'd probably pinch it too now um, but yeah, he was just really, he was just really, really fun and really gorgeous, you know, even though he wasn't very famous here yet, unless you watched Dallas, you wouldn't know, I've known who he was, but he was so good looking that you noticed him anyway. Oh, what a story, Sunita. That's 
definitely a first time for the podcast. I've not heard a story as uh, illuminated as that. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> you must think back to your life. I know you still have an amazing experiences now, and that's your, your next phase of having more of these experiences. But mm-hmm. looking back at your younger self, you must just marvel at some of the things you got up to and some of the people you were around. That's crazy. Oh, yeah, I totally do now. And that's why I'm just thinking, wow, I have really lived a life. Because, like you said, things that seem normal to me now, now when these films and things are coming out, and I'm thinking, oh, I know him. Oh, I used to be there at that. Or we used to do that. People are like, what? And I'm like, yeah. And I'll start saying something. And people are like, oh, my God. Why haven't you ever t- told anyone that before? And it's because, you know, these things were my, these things were my normal, you know. So it's nice to still be here watching people become like icons. One of my friends is like, oh my God, Boy George is in LA at the moment. I think he just played at the Hollywood Bowl last night. And one of my friends was like, Boy George is here, he's playing. And uh, Lulu was his support special guest or something. And you're like, oh my God, say hi to George. I remember George and then there's like my little George story. And they're like, oh my God, do you know Boy George? And I'm like, yeah, of course. We used to be in the embassy club together. It's so funny. Oh, Sunita, I love this. This is like such an amazing through the keyhole look into the life of a superstar. This is amazing. What other romantic relationships were you in when you were uh, on your kind of soul match or kind of claim to fame? Because I, I, I know that you got to surround yourself with some amazing um, superstars. Okay, so like date-wise? Yeah. So, okay, so David Essex, who I was in Mutiny on the Bounty with, he played Fletcher Christian, I played um, my meaty. And we dated during the show. But the strangest thing is, is that what he didn't know is I still had a picture of him on my bedroom wall at home. And when he came to visit me, I remember thinking, we can't show him around. Please don't show him around because I wanted to get to my room to get it off before he saw my room. But he got to my room before I got to, and it was like there with blue tack. And he was really funny. He just went, oh, he went, oh good. He said, oh, thank God you got one of those. I was going to save me giving you one a joke of it, but I was like dying thinking if he knows that he's a poster on my wall still like how old am I um I hope you still don't have it Sunita <laughs> that's the bathroom now <laughs> um but somebody else famous that did anyone else famous? really weird because like well David was already famous Brad was a jobbing actor but he wasn't famous famous till Thelma Thelma and Louise oh I dated um the uh, Levi model, you know, the Nick Kamen, Thomas Arkley, the Levi model guy, the Levi commercials. Um, I don't, anyone else famous? Well, of course, and of course, Simon's probably the most famous of all. Yeah. Simon's the most famous of all. But, you know, I've been on dates with Prince Albert of Monaco and all of that, the Sheikh of, of Abu Dhabi. It's crazy, right? Absolutely crazy, you know. And now I've got kids going to me. Yeah, right, Mama. Of course you did. And I'm like, I'm telling you the truth. I have to go through my old trunks and find clippings and things to show them, because they think that I'm like the old crazy woman who just says mad stuff. <laughs> One thing that almost breaks my heart, or I kind of sympathise with, is when I see, when I Google your name or try and look up about you and your success and your amazing music and your legacy that you've created. There's so many news articles or features about here's who Sunita's dated or here's why Sunita broke up with Simon Kill or here's why Sunita broke up 
with Brad Pitt, but you're more than just your your exes. You're more than just the dates that you had been on. You're more than that. You're a superstar in your own right. Thank How you. does it feel for you to be like referred to as somebody's ex or somebody's ex-wife or somebody's um, fling when you see yeah, that? Yeah, it's um, it's it ha it has been frustrating, uh, but then you sort of realise, look how often uh, what 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 i think the thing that upsets me most is when people think because i i've been been single for years and people were sort of saying oh well she only dates rich famous men and it's like actually david essex is the only famous man i ever dated because brad wasn't rich or famous when i dated him and neither was simon they became rich and famous afterwards so i don't like it if it looks like you know i'm this sort of fame whore kind of gold digger type person because I, I date people who just happen to be talented and end up being super successful or maybe I'm their lucky charm and I that's what I was about to say I think you made them famous Senator <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to be famous for this podcast exactly. so you have to take me out to lunch at least though. <laughs> don't worry I will I will I will I promise you uh I want to talk about one of your um, favorite jobs, and I believe that's being being a mother. And I know you've yes. you've taken a kind of untraditional or alternative route to being there, a quite troublesome route for you. And yes, I, I believe that you've been so brave to share a lot of the highlights and lowlights of that online. Can you talk about your uh, journey to being a mother? Well, first of all, so I have two beautiful children who are now seventeen and eighteen um, that I adopted. 16 years ago, 16 years ago. Um, and uh, yeah, it was difficult because I was dying for children. I had two stepchildren from my first, well, my only marriage. And, uh, and I wanted children of our own. And uh, I just kept miscarrying. I kept miscarrying. Um, I then had a surrogate. My surrogate miscarried. I did IVF. I did everything um, to no avail. And I think we'd always said that we'd like to to have one biological child and then to adopt one as well. So finally it was like, let's just go straight to adoption. And in a way it was good that this happened this way because we went to adopt my daughter, Magdalena, and just as we were almost through the entire process, they said, oh no, I'm so sorry, we found that Magdalena has a sibling in the system, a young baby's been born. We like babies to be bought, uh, adopted together if they're, if they're family. But don't worry, we'll find another little girl for you. And we kind of went, oh, no, 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 no. Like we're, even though we'd never met her, the idea of her and everything we'd heard about her, we felt she was the right child for us. So we agreed to take the baby as well. And so that's how I ended up with Zach. Zach and Magdalena. So it was nice for them as well because they got to grow up together. And now... I've just survived my first weekend of the Leeds Festival. Uh, you were there or they were there? Well, they were there, but I survived it because I was literally like so scared because, you know, you sort of think, oh, my gosh, they're off doing things like this now. My daughter's such a girly girl that I was like, how is she going to survive in a tent, you know, <laughs> and all of this? But she survived. They partied. They've had the time of their lives and they've come back and, you know, yeah, live to tell the tale. But so now I've got that that stage going on. But yeah, it's 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 been amazing. And I, I always say to people when I say, Oh, but how do you do you really love them? And you know, it must it can't be the same as having your own biological children. And um I always say that 
blood is thicker than water because you do love them as your own. You know, they're the only children that I've known. And um, and they 100% think of me as, as their mother, even though their biological families are back in their lives now, now that they've come of age, they're back, they're in touch, and they have communications, biological mothers and fathers and all of that. Um, but I'm still who they think of as mama. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. That really is. I know that you had a very untraditional upbringing with your mom touring, touring the world with her as she was a yeah. superstar. Do you see any correlations between how you were parented as and how you parent your kids? Um, I think I'm probably more old-fashioned because of that, more traditional. Uh, even though I loved my time and my life with my mother, I think when you've had a very unconventional upbringing, it probably makes you look towards being more traditional or becoming a bit of a hybrid. Um, so... Yeah, I think I've, I've been quite old-fashioned and, and my children and their friends were quite surprised by that because they all thought I was going to be the super cool mom. Um, I've become more super cool mom now that I'm older. <laughs> when they were little, you know, just things like my daughter, when she first found out my name was Sunita because we used to go to these Saturday morning movie premieres for kids and the fans would be there and they'd be shouting, Sunita, Nita, why is everyone shouting? Why are they all calling you? Why, why? And it was just so because that's my name. So on the way home after the first one, my daughter said, oh, Sunita, please can I have something? And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> like, I have not gone through everything I've been through, miscarriages, you know, surrogates, blah, 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 two years of the whole adoption process to be called Sunita. You know what I mean? That's not what I said to her, but that's what went through my head. So I just ignored her until she finally said mama. And she was like, Sunita, Sunita, Sunita. Finally, mama. And I was like, yes, darling. <laughs> she got it because I was like, I'm not, you know, you will call me mama, not Sunita. And I will be grandmama, not Sunita by my grandchildren as well. That is insane. That, that's such a hilarious story. You know, I think about your life. You've been known as Sunita, just Sunita, for so many years. You were Sunita the superstar. And you were always known by that one name, that one pseudonym. Mm -hmm. And then finally you have kids and you've, you're a whole new person. You're a mother. And you're, you're referred to as mama and or, yeah. or mother or mum. And it was like, I wonder how, I wonder what that triggered in you to be called Sunita. Maybe it, it kind of regressed you back to the superstar role that you have instead of the mother, the archetype. I wonder why that triggered you so much. Yeah, I don't know. I think it just didn't feel, it didn't feel special it didn't feel like you know i feel like well also obviously i'm obsessed with my mother so but i grew up calling my mother michael brown ah that was why the story because we we're talking about the comparisons so i've called my mother michael brown not even just michael all my life when i was very little a man was trying to chat her up or something and asked me what's your mommy's name and i said mommy and he said yes but what's her name and i said mommy because i didn't know her name um when he then spoke to her, he said, I was asking your little girl your name and she didn't know your name. And so then on the way home, I was like, so what is your name? And she said, Michael Brown. And I was like, oh, Michael Brown, like Charlie Brown? And she was like, yes. And I was like, oh, wow. And to me, it was such a cool name. I called her Michael Brown, like testing it, Michael Brown. And she'd look and wow, that really is your name. And I've called her that all my life. My children call their grandmother Michael Brown. So you see, she's very cool. She's always been very modern. She's very like that. Whereas I've gone right back to the, no, 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 I have 
be mother or mummy or mama or mum or you know that oh. thing. I'm Safi. I'm the Safi. You're <laughs> Safi, aren't you? <laughs> I love it, Sunita. I love it. I love it. How is your relationship with your mum now? Amazing. She's my bestie. You know, we go out to dinner, we go on holiday. She's amazing. I, I swear she's reverse aging, um, which is great because we have lots to do. Um, and in fact, she's she's one of my sins angels for the, the campaign that I have coming up in her 70s, doing her treatments and she's going to date and all this stuff because we need to show people like, you know, there's nothing to fear. It's just going to get better and better. Like I want to be her when I'm in my 70s. I'm sure you will. That's amazing, Sunita. I'm really enjoying this podcast. I I must ask about the infamous or the famous uh, X Factor scene where you pop out wearing basically a whole botany, uh, <laughs> leaves everywhere. Uh, you're really known for your, uh, your your fashion, your style and your nomadic appearances on shows like that. Where did the outfit come from? Well, that outfit, I think, like my whole music career was a bit kind of tongue in cheek, I think, because to me, I always saw myself as an actress. I was a trained actress, Lambda trained actress and a Russian trained ballet dancer. So I felt like I was really a dancer, really an actress, but singing, I just could sing in tune. So I didn't feel like a trained singer. So even my pop career, I felt like I was an actress playing the part of a pop star. And so my real personality was just having fun with that. My outfits, you know, we didn't have money. I didn't know what I wanted to be based on. I wanted to be a sort of hybrid punk meets Madonna, meets Janet Jackson. Meet, wasn't allowed to dye my hair. I know it was just so much stuff that I think I just became this kind of, well, I'm just going to wear this then and get away with it. <laughs> so on X Factor, when they asked me to wear a bikini, I'd worn a bikini the year before in Barbados because we were sitting poolside, so it made sense. This time I was like, well, why am I, why am I wearing a bikini? It was like, because you look good in a bikini, so just get a bikini, one of the producers. And I was like, no, that's not going to happen, you know. So I go out shopping with Paul Medford, my friend, and we can't find anything, and we go come across this British nursery, and we end up going in and just buying these plants. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, yes, I'll wear these and I'll make this whole thing. <laughs> and it just literally just happened. When I got back, they said, oh, so did you get a bikini? And I'm like, yes, 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 yes. But it's so skimpy to film Simon's face when I come out in it because it might be too skimpy to show on TV. We might have to reshoot it afterwards just with the normal dress. So they're rubbing their hands together thinking, oh, great, this is going to be great. And instead I came out in the, the banana leaves and they caught his reaction but then afterwards, they said, OK, very funny, Sunita, where everybody's laughing about, falling about laughing. They said, OK, let's get changed and let's get started. So I go and get changed and get started. I had no idea it would actually make the cut. <laughs> so it was just going to be they'd use the reaction and then they'd use my normal kind of thing. But when it came out, it was the morning that it was due to come out. I remember it just, no, the night, it was the morning after. Every newspaper, it was me and Simon on the front me in the leaf dress and it was like and it just changed everything because I went from being quite a credible kind of you know advisor on the show to actually now I'm the sort of comedy booking on the X Factor <laughs> and that outfit was it was hot it was sexy it was punchy it was raunchy it was raw and <laughs> it gave you this again this kind of 
re-image of being like an older but sexy woman again you're doing that now with your sun angels <laughs> showcasing that you're older and still sexy and you can wear things like that and do things like that i love it Sunita. i really do thank you well you know what it just shows you you just you just have to be yourself you just be yourself and i like humor is what gets me through everything you know i i used to be quite a shy person so i think if i can make myself laugh through things then I'll sort of get through, but it's just like crazy because some of the maddest, some of the biggest moments have been created out of just a moment of just wanting to have some fun. Oh, amazing. And I think yeah. that's a good listener for the, sorry, a good les lesson for the listeners to take away is like be cheerful in adversity. Even mm -hmm. if you're going through the hardest of times, whether it's because of your environment, your family, a breakup, your job, try and find some laughter in amongst it because there is always something to laugh about. If it's not the environment, just laugh at yourself. Just laugh at yourself, exactly. <laughs> in fact, I was actually going to message your assistant and ask you to wear that outfit for this podcast, but I didn't realize how much work it would be. It's a bit early, I think, for that. <laughs> it's early. never too early, Sunita. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, I love it, I love it. So you said you're single now and you're dating in your 50s. Is, what are some of the hardships about dating when you're uh, a, bit, a bit older? Because dating doesn't seem sexy for a 50-something-year-old, in the media at least, but it can be. What are some of the highlights and lowlights of doing it? Well, for a start, I mean, I'm not being funny, but like when you're younger, when you're very like, when you're young and you've got the amazing body and everything and you're having sex for the first time, you don't really know what you're doing. And I think my generation particularly, we were sort of raised to please the man and I'm not saying you don't care about pleasing the man anymore but by the time you reach your 50s you actually know what you like sexually you know what you want need emotionally and all those things and you have the confidence to to say it because you know it's 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 all natural it's not embarrassing it's not awkward all those things that you're thinking oh you know you just won't say anything when you're 21 or 22 but suddenly you you're a grown-ass woman and you can get what you want and say what you want. And I feel like sexier, more empowered, more free, um, humor still, you've got to have an even better sense of humor because things are wobbling and jiggling that didn't used to. And, you know, but it's actually really fun. And especially if you're with an age-appropriate man as well, you have those things in common. You know, you've got music in common and there's just so much. I don't, I don't think, I think that a lot of men who leave and and go off with younger women that it's not literally just because the woman they're with is older it's because she's allowed the older woman has allowed society to get into her head and dictate to her what she's supposed to be like what she's supposed to wear da, 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 da. and you sort of get beaten into submission to this role of what a 50 year old woman should be and actually you don't need to listen to any of it now's the time when you've earned the right to not listen to any of it and just do and be what you want. And I'm just so much happy. I'm so relieved to not be trying to look outside of myself for my identity. Because it's like, you know, there's enough going on here for me to, like, yeah, I, there's a lot here for me to work with. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I love it. I love it, Sunita. And given that you're Sunita, you're like one of the most beautiful icons of your generation, you could date downwards in terms of, uh, age you could go with a young 25 year old man I'm not hinting I promise but you could but I, I know that you choose to to kind of date like kind of age appropriate around your age why is that why don't you go for the young 21 year old 25 year old who's got all the chutzpah in the world why do you choose to um, bypass me for example and, and go for someone your age <laughs> well I will say 
but I have had a, a good kissing or snogging session with a 20-year-old something. And he was beautiful and his body was amazing. He smelled amazing and he was awesome. And he left me, when I put him out of the cab, he did say to me, listen, if you ever just want to, or something, give me a call feverishly. And it was very hot and sexy. But Stop, stop leaking that time at the awards, Sunita. I told you not to tell anyone that. This is my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I didn't say your name. Um, but it was like, it was that thing of like, but you know what? I love, I love men sort of my age or older because my sense of humor, I think, is is old fashioned. I love, I've, I, you know, I grew up with Benny Hill and Rising, just stupid stuff on TV that you know, Morecambe and Wise and things that nobody's even heard of, and music, Stevie Wonder, and I don't know. I like it when guys have that kind of that same kind of sense of humor. They know what a Knickerbocker glory is. Do you know what a Knickerbocker glory is? Yeah, yeah, like a big ice cream sundae. Yeah yeah, 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 you do know. But just the old fashioned senator. You might be a, 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 a unicorn. You're the exception to the rule. But I like people who've grown up with the same things that I have and that you can laugh at the same things and um, just have that stuff, have all those things in, in common. Um, and especially if you get a man in his 50s or 60s and he's fit, I mean, there's nothing sexier because, again, he actually knows what he's doing because he's a grown-ass man. He's usually emotionally mature and emotionally available and all that stuff as well. So, um, yeah, I watch the space. I bet that I will get married again soon. I'm going to leave this here so that people can come back and revisit it when you're happily married in a year <laughs> or two years' time. That's amazing. Having the best Lisa. sex of my life and the best life of my life, yes. Oh, I really <laughs> wish that for you, and I know that's around the corner for you. Are you on dating apps? Okay, I am. But it's only because I don't know how to, like some of them I tried to get off and I don't know how to get off again. <laughs> one, one, one of them I was on and they deleted me because they said I was a catfish um, on Hinge. They didn't think I was really me. Um, and um, what's the one, uh, the American one? Bumble, Tinder? No, the one that's like supposed to, that had all the celebrities on it. Oh, Raya? Raya, yes. I'm on that, but I'm on there. You know when it says, just for, just to meet friends. But you know, <laughs> you know, you've got to say that. Oh, I'm no senator. Don't you worry. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that's but, amazing. Um, but I'm meeting. I'm meeting some really lovely people, and I'm, you know, there's a few that look quite promising. Good. I wish you the best of luck with it. I wish you so much fun. And if you don't have fun, I hope you uh, have uh, amazing sex at least. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's ever said that to me before, but I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> I told you I'm 25 year old full of chutzpah. <laughs> oh, to wrap up this podcast, Sunita, I, uh, I just want to say thank you. But before I do that, if I were to say to you to leave the young 20 something year old uh, listener, either male or female, who looks up to you as an idol um, and you were to pass on some advice to them, what advice would you give them to pursue a really novel and intense and kind of a hardcore uh, life that you have if they want to embark on a similar journey and become a superstar where do they start well i would just say for you know aim for happiness be true to yourself don't take it all too seriously because everything you believe now you probably won't believe even in five years time you'll feel completely differently um but really the the being true to yourself thing because i think a life without regret 
is the best life and take care of yourself. Like really look after your look after your body, look after your mental health, look after your heart, look after your body. Because if you're healthy and sound, you can live forever. Because I'm going to. You are, and I see you <laughs> on your podcast, and I see you on Instagram, really taking care of yourself with all your treatments and uh, regular maintenance and things like that. It's mm-hmm. great to see you're looking amazing. You're Thank sounding amazing. You're full of energy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Sunita. Thank if I were you. to ask you, um, what's next for Sunita? I know you've got Sins Angels on the go, but what's next for you? Well, Sins Angels, hopefully great sex, the the love of my life. And um, I don't know, let's say more music. Maybe I'll write an amazing album about the 50s and 60s being the best time of my life. Oh, fantastic, Sunita. (laughs) I can't wait for it. Again, I'm in absolute awe. A boy like me shouldn't have someone like you on their podcast. Welcome you into my Glasgow home, essentially. This has been amazing. Thank you so much. And I'll see you at the awards, if not before. And don't forget, you owe me lunch. <laughs> I do owe you lunch. Take care, baby. And there we have it, another episode. Thank you for sticking to the end. You mean the world to me. You really, really do. I can't believe you trust me with over an hour of your time and attention. And you trust my voice. You trust the stories that I like to share. You guys mean the absolute world to me. I don't know where I'd be without you. I don't know where I'd be without this podcast. It's my absolute everything. Please, please, please do what you can to send love to this podcast. Engage with the sponsors and engage with me. Share this podcast as far as you can make it go. Whether it's in work group chats, whether it's your aunties, your uncles, your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister, your friends. Anyone who needs to be self-developed even further, send us their way. And give me a five star if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Hit that five star button. I'm really, really proud of this episode and I'm really proud to call you listeners. Hope to see you in the next one.
And there we have another episode. Thank you for sticking to the end. You mean the world to me. You really, really do. I can't believe you trust me with over an hour of your time and attention. And you trust my voice. You trust the stories that I like to share. You guys mean the absolute world to me. I don't know where I'd be without you. I don't know where I'd be without this podcast. It's my absolute everything. Please, please, please do what you can to send love to this podcast. Engage with the sponsors and engage with me. Share this podcast as far as you can make it go. Whether it's in work group chats, whether it's your aunties, your uncles, your mum, your dad, your brother, your sister, your friends, anyone who needs to be self-developed even further, send us their way and give me a five star. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, hit that five star button. I'm really, really proud of this episode and I'm really proud to call you listeners. Hope to see you in the next one.